The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Hi, welcome to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I'm so pleased and honored that you decided to spend your time with us today. So, as caregivers, we yearn for peace, we yearn for calm, happiness, you know, actually, between you and I, personally, sometimes I just yearn for like a really, really big bowl of ice cream. I mean, it would be so great, you know. So our guest today will share with us ways to change our toxic thoughts, reframe our experiences, and lead a more mindful life. So at this point, you might be thinking, oh, come on, Dr. Merrill, you must be kidding. This kind of change is impossible. You know, I'm just too overwhelmed with everybody I have to take care of. It's just too hard. And it is hard. But you know what? Today, our guest will explain how you can achieve all of this in small steps in a way that makes all of this achievable. It really will be achievable. So let's get started. Diane Morris-Jones is a licensed mental health counselor and a certified Daring Way facilitator consultant. Diane developed an approach to changing our negative thoughts. Her book is Stop, Breathe, and Believe, Mindful Living, One Thought at a Time. So, Diane, stop, breathe, believe. Would you give us an overview of this concept you developed? Sure, Merrill, and thank you so much for having me on this show. So, if the listeners could just picture the image of a stoplight, which it, you know, which is what's on the cover of the book. So, the idea is to stop at a moment when you find yourself struggling. Just stop with what you're doing and become aware of what you're thinking. And you might even want to say the words out loud to yourself um, using your name, like stop Diane or stop Merle or stop Emily or stop Janet, whatever it might be, and just speak to yourself with kindness but firmness. And so at that point, you kind of notice what's going on in your mind. And so whatever you find your thought is, and believe me, it could be anything, just simply be aware of that. And um, just make note of that, you know, hopefully without judgment. And then so, d- in keeping... Diane, oh, go Diane let, me, yeah. let me ask you a question, because let me just yeah. stop it, stop it, stop sure. for just a minute, <laughs> all right? So I think sometimes it, 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 it's difficult to stop. I mean, you're, you're yeah. just feeling really strong emotions. You're really caught up in the moment. I mean, do you have any suggestions for how do I stop? 
Right. Well, it's all about the practice and setting the intention of I want to work on this. I want to work on reframing some of my thoughts. I'm wanting, I'm desiring to change some of my thoughts or to um, look at things in a different way, maybe a more healthier way. And so when we can become aware of that, the idea of just stopping is, it can become, um, you know, a part of our practice. Um, but it has to be intentional because we can all get caught up in the swirling thoughts or, you know, um, and so one way that I often encourage um, my clients to do this is even at stoplights, just to begin practicing. Okay, at a stoplight, stop Diane, and then, re- you know, recognize what is the thought I just had. And so by beginning a practice of, do- of recognizing what we're thinking at every stoplight, then we're in, when we're in the moment of a crisis or a panic or a frustration, it's so much easier when we've been practicing it on a normal basis. Does that okay. help? Yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah. So yeah. now that I, now I've stopped, what's my next thing? Right. The next thing is something that's also natural for all of us, but we all take it for granted so often, and that is to come back to our breath. And that literally, even when, in, you know, let's say we're sitting in the car practicing at the stoplight, that we just take a deep breath in. And a deep breath out. And what I often encourage my clients um, to do is to count as they breathe in and count as they breathe out. And what that does just for a split second, Merle, is it kind of distracts our brain from that thinking that we were thinking. And so when we can come back to our breath, which obviously we're breathing, you know, all day, but so many times we're not aware of that. And granted, we might be aware of our breath oh, I don't know, if we're out exercising, we might realize we're short of breath. Maybe when a baby's being born, we recognize, oh, that first breath, or even when we're with someone that's um, dying or in in, um, stress, you know, those last breaths. But how can we become more focused on just taking that in, taking that deep breath and being mindful of coming back to our breath, which is so, um, you know, healthy for us. And part of that is some, you know, from a medical perspective, I mean, it, um, it triggers the parasympathetic nervous system to relax the body. So that deep diaphragmatic breathing, what it does, it, you know, it slows our heart rate, our respiratory rate, our muscles can begin to loosen even just a little bit. And so it's just incredibly healthy, but then it can help our brain to come back and then begin to be creative about, okay, what is it I want to think about this particular situation? So, Diane, if we are, you were in the heat of a situation, though, and you were going to stop, you're, you're like, I'm not going to go forward with this because I know where this is going to end up and it's not going to yes. be good, all right? Yes. So I'm going to stop, yes. and now I know my next step is to breathe. Do you think that yes. at times you just have to literally walk away you know, maybe you need to walk outside or you need to walk away from the situation for a few minutes. Oh, very often that is the case of just, you know, really pulling back from an intense situation. Um, there's no doubt that sometimes removing ourselves from a chaotic moment or a difficult moment can be the wise thing to do, whether, um, you know, it's as things are getting triggered or, or heated up in a, maybe an argument or something. And so Stop, Breathe, Believe is a really fascinating way to become aware of what are our responses versus what are our reactions. 
Because, you know, so often if we're in fear, we might react a certain way. Whereas if we can come back, step back a bit, calm ourselves with our breath, and then choose to respond in a more calm or a more thoughtful way than maybe what that reaction would be. So I've, I've stopped, I'm breathing, and some people like to use a yoga breath, which is breathe in and breathe out of their nose. They yes. find that calms the anxiety. So yes. the, your third step is believe. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, okay, so just like in the stoplight, the red is the stop, the yellow is the breathe or slow down, and as you would have guessed, the green of the stoplight is the believe. And so I often talk about, you know, going green in our thinking. So we often think about, um, you know, being environmentally conscious and um, um, rewiring or um, our thinking. We can do that as well. And so um, you just recognize what was the thought that you observed during the stop. And then you, in creating a belief statement, it has to be believable. And so let's say the thought you became aware of as you were rushing out the door one day was, I'm such an idiot, I lost my key. And that happens to us sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. We might call Absolutely. ourselves an idiot or whatever. And so an effective belief statement or something that would be kinder that we could say to ourselves is, I'm so human. <laughs> you know, or maybe it could be, oh, Diane, you've got a lot on your plate this morning. And actually, by calming our thinking, our ability to then find our keys is going to be more likely. Um, one way I like to teach how to come up with what would be that green statement or that belief statement that we would prefer to choose would be, how would we talk to a friend? And so, let's say if I lost my keys as I'm rushing out the door, I might call myself an idiot, right? To myself, not out loud. But if you told me that you'd had a rough morning, girl, and that, oh, it was so frustrating, and you were going to be late for being on the show, and da-da-da-da-da, and you lost your keys, I can pretty much assure you I would not say, oh, Merle, you are such an idiot, right? (laughs) Thanks, Diane. (laughs) Yeah, I would not say that to you as my new friend, right? Right, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but how harshly... We talk to ourselves and how cruel we talk to ourselves. Um, sometimes I do this as a little interactive skit when I speak. And boy, when I ask the audience to tell me what would they say if they lost their keys, it can be some pretty cruel um, responses that they would say to themselves. And so the idea is how would we speak to a friend? What would be a kind and loving thing that we could say to ourselves? Because that then would be a healthier thinking process. Right. You, you know, Diane, I don't know if this if this fits in into your scheme, but I just want to try this. So, okay. you know, caregivers often get, you know, as we were talking about, caught up um, yes. in moments. So you're taking care of your mother and now your sister who lives in California has just come east to visit. Um, and this is very common. And without meaning to, she starts out by criticizing um, what you're doing with your mom. Right. Okay. Oh, sure. So, yeah. you know, very common. So at this point, I'm just going to stop 
I'm just going to play this out, and you're going to tell me, yeah, sure. no. Yes. So I'm just going to, yes. I'm going to stop. Let's go through it. All right. Yes. I may mm-hmm. walk away for a moment and say to her, even just, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. Right. Okay. Right. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to use my nice yoga breath. I'm going to get myself calmed down, and then maybe my belief is, I really want to get this worked out. I don't want to fight in front of my mother. I want to have a supportive relationship with my sister. So I'm going to calm down and and really say the things that I had planned ahead of time to say, which will leave us in a productive conversation instead of a destructive conversation. And good for me. And I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. And I'm going to go eat my bowl of ice cream now because, woohoo, I did it. Yeah, and you know what a common um, example of how difficult it can be. And even as much as we have um, practiced these things and been concerned about what someone's reaction will be, the reality is it's really difficult to understand what someone else's world is like. And so, um, and actually your experience is, is something I experienced. I live in West Des Moines. My parents live in Texas. My dad has Parkinson's. So when I go, boy, I could just, you know, jump right in and whip some things together and, oh, why is this this way and da-da-da. But then I have to step back and go, wow, this must really be difficult. Right. And so, you know, what are some things that you might could say to your sister as she's visiting is, you know, yeah, this is really difficult. And I'm sure it's difficult for you to come in and see it like this. We're talking. not be there. Right. We're talking to Diane Morris-Jones. She's the author of Stop, Breathe, and Believe. Um, And when we come back, we're going to continue on our stoplight, and we're going to talk to Diane about some red light, green light thoughts, and we're also going to discuss the issue of shame and how it's like shoots and ladders. Wow. Stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merle, and we're here with Diane Morris-Jones, who is the author of Stop, Breathe, Believe, Mindful Living, One Thought at a Time. So, Diane, let's kind of continue with your stoplight, which which I think is great. Um, and you have in your book some what you call red light, green light thoughts. Um, and I found two of them. I want to repeat them and ask you to comment on them because I think they're very, very common for caregivers. So the first red light thought that you have is, I have to do it all. I have to do it all. How do I get mm-hmm. to a green light? Yeah. And isn't that a hard one? Because when we're in a caregiving situation and our heart is breaking in some ways because we're so concerned and cared for this individual that we love, or maybe it's our job to be a caregiver, regardless, there's a lot of care and compassion there. And so it can be difficult then to allow ourselves to recognize and be aware of our own emotions and thoughts. So with the idea of I have to do it all, (laughs) how common is that? And so the stop. Um, when you're referring to the red thoughts, that's the idea under stop, breathe, believe of the ideas that we would stop. And so in that, to recognize, wow, that thought is wearing me out. It's a drain to me. It's exhausting to me. So how can I reframe that? And maybe the green thought then could be asking for help is a strength. That's one that I use all of the time um, when I, re- I think I have to do it all myself. And sometimes that's out of control issues for myself. I don't know if any of you all struggle with that. But also sometimes it's just we get in a rut of a certain pattern because we haven't ever had that. It takes courage to ask for help. It feels vulnerable to ask for help. And we feel like we're going to inconvenience someone. And so asking for help is a strength. It's really a powerful way to think of, whew, maybe I don't have to do it all. And the reality is... We have to take care of ourselves in order to take care of someone else. No different than the idea of on the airplane when they say, you know, when the mask drops down, if you're with a child, put the mask on the child. Well, the reality is that that's great advice because if something happens to you, who's going to care for the child? Well, in a caregiving situation, same is true. If you exhaust yourself so much, then who's going to be the one to care and love on the person that you're, you know, that's your mission and that's your intent? You know, Diane, I hadn't thought about this, actually, from this perspective until you said it. Um, But, you know, when I first started to take care of my own mother after she had had a very, very dense stroke, um, I did have a tendency um, at the very beginning um, to do it all. And now that I think back on it, um, I think a lot of it had to do with just a lot of fear and anxiety, actually, because suddenly, even though I've I've done this for a long time, it was my mother, you know, she's paralyzed on one side, she had to be transferred, I had to learn how to do a feeding tube, you know, I'm not a nurse, this was right. a scary thing for me, sure. um, I had to learn how to puree food, I mean, there was just so mm-hmm. many things I had to learn to do differently, um, and it was pretty scary, um, yeah. so... Yeah, so I sometimes I hadn't thought about it that way, but right. I think sometimes and, we do, yeah. Yeah, and so well, often in teaching um, clients how to come up with their own green statements or belief statements to rewire that thinking, I use the um, verbs that end in I-N-G. And so um, because practicing 
stop, breathe, believe is a practice. It's not going to happen overnight that we're going to rewire all of our thinking. There's no way, right? But if we can begin to practice, and so that is a process, and just like a an action verb with the ing. And so maybe at that point when you were learning to two feed your mom, you could, you know, one of your green statements amidst the anxiety and the frustration of I don't know what I'm doing because we're all beginners at different things at different times is I'm learning something new. And in just saying that to myself, it kind of takes me off the hook that I need to be an expert um, person, who, a, a food curator, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Because I can right. become an expert if I'm learning something new. And my husband and I started um, taking guitar lessons a couple of years ago, and it was just so fascinating because it was the first time in a long time that I really had began something totally new that I had no idea where to even begin, right? And I had forgotten how hard it is to start something new. (laughs) And so many times I had to come back to myself and say, Diane, you're learning something new. It's a really good thought because I think caregiving is like that. I mean, you become a parent for the first time. Sometimes being a grandparent gets a little scary because you haven't handled a baby uh, for a long time. If you're dealing with a senior, you know, suddenly you're dealing with a wheelchair or a walker, you know, you know, trying to assist them in their mobility. And I think you're right. It can be pretty scary at times. Diane, I want to ask you um, about your process for understanding um, shame by using um, shoots and ladders, which is actually a childhood game. Yes, it is. And I, I just am very much a believer in visuals and metaphors and teaching because um, after my clients come back to me, I'll ask them what they remember of our conversations before. And rarely do they tell me it's 10 certain steps to something, but it's usually a visual. And so I like the idea with shoots and ladders with shame because Shame is um, a very hard concept to grasp at times, and we often get it confused um, with guilt. But shame is when we internalize something as I am bad. And it's that, you know, intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore, you know, we're just not worthy of of love or belonging. And, um, And so the idea is then when we are feeling bad, which guilt is different in the sense that I've done something bad, right, versus I am bad. And so the reality is, as we're learning how to understand about shame, it is very much a shoots and ladders experience because we'll be getting it and and integrating that concept into our life, and then all of a sudden it will kind of knock us out from under our knees and something will happen. And so it's like, whoa, And so many times, Merle, that can be from the concepts of I'm not enough, I'm not skinny enough, smart enough, cute enough, um, gosh, a good cook enough. I mean, here come the holidays. Think about the expectations there. You know, I don't Mm. decorate good enough. I didn't do this good enough. The stockings aren't hung the best way. I mean, we just get caught up in this cultural idea of perfection or whatever. Um, And so we can feel like we're a bad person because of that. And the reality is we're not going to be perfect at everything. And then the other kind of flip side to that is I'm too much. You know, I'm too loud or I'm too sensitive or I'm too organized. I had someone tell me once, you're too organized. I was like, okay, whatever, you know. And so (laughs) then 
the next time I was, you know, being real organized about something, I, I had that thought. Oh, am I too organized for this person, you know? And, and um, so it just, it's this huge range of how we internalize and what are we thinking about, you know, how we interact with others and, and our experiences that we've been through. And so the concept of so Diane- letters is just we can work so hard and then we hit that shoot and we're just like, huh, and it can feel defeating at times. Yeah. So that brings us to the, uh, or brings me anyway, to the issue of self-care, because I was so pleased to see there was a section on your book um, about self-care, because it's something every week at the end of the show, I ask my listeners to do just one thing, one thing for themselves um, in the next week, because it's so important. So you have some great suggestions. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the importance of self-care and some of your suggestions? for the way that you can practice self-care. Yeah, you know, I think with self-care, if it's something that it's not been a practice for yourself, then I just say start small um, and begin to find one thing you can do that feels um, good and caring for yourself. And the reality is, Merle, when we, um, particularly as women, I think, and sometimes as moms and even as caregivers, We think selfless is the way to go. Like, oh, I'll just give my all to this person or to the situation. But the reality is we have to take care of ourselves. Um, In my entry all, I have a big chalkboard that says love is a verb. And that's also the chapter title for about self-care. Because caring for ourselves is an action and it is love. And it's not like a narcissistic type of love of like I've got to exclude everyone else, but it's the idea of taking care of ourselves in a healthy way. One of the things I do a lot for myself that this could be a great beginning point for people, and it sounds so silly, but it's so rich, and that is to put your hand on your heart. And just like when my kids were little, I would always give them these little love pats or like sometimes I do when I'm loving on my daddy, I'll just love on, you know, pat his leg or whatever. I just put my hand on my heart and I just kind of pat my heart and say, it's okay. It's okay, Diane. Aww. This is hard. I like and, that. Know, I feel, really I feel cool a little better. You, yeah. If you have a shirt where you can actually do skin to skin touch, I mean, there's just something beautiful and powerful about healing touch. And so that's something that we can do when we're in a stressful meeting, maybe a board meeting or a meeting with the nurses and the doctors regarding the care of someone um, is something we can do as we're driving down the street or if we're in a confrontation with our spouse or with a, like a, a fellow caregiver, like you were referring to sibling relationships, how those can get so strained. And I think, you know, when you think about the issue of strained relationships and caregiving, if we go back to, of course, they're strained at times because we're afraid. We're scared. We don't want them to die. We don't want them to have cancer. We don't want to get to find out the bad results of the medical test or whatever. And so when we can recognize even like, wow, I'm really feeling emotional today because of the stress of the situation, even then that can be a calming thought or a green thought that we could have of like, of course, I may be a little bit more irritable today than normal. That would be, nor- that would be human. 
Right. Diane, yeah. I'm so sorry, but our, our, our time is really up and, and you've been such a great guest. We have to have you back. So oh, uh, we've been talking that, to you know? Diane Morris-Jones, author of and developer of the concept of Stop, Breathe, Believe. Diane, if our listeners want more information, how do they get that? Sure. My website is www.dianemorrisjones.com. And um, and then also the books are available through Amazon or any local bookstore can order them. So, yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank, thank you, Merle. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So. Bye-bye. One of Diane's suggestions, actually, for self-care is to take a technology sabbatical. And our next guest, Nancy Collier, who is the author of The Power of Off, is going to talk to us about mindful ways to stay sane in a virtual world. So stay with us. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and we had a great beginning with Stop, Breathe, Believe with Diane Morris-Jones. And now we're back with Nancy Collier. So, you know, technology can help us. You know, it can bridge connections. It can help us maintain relationships. You know, it provides easy to access information and education. But technology for many of us can also be a source of stress. It can actually affect our physical and our emotional health. So perhaps the issue is not the technology itself, but our attitude towards the technology and how we relate to the technology. Nancy Collier joins us to help us examine this more closely. Nancy is a psychotherapist and interfaith minister, and she is the author of The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Nancy. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, 
So, Nancy, you admit um, to being addicted to technology. So, do you, I mean, addiction is a very, very strong word. Do you, do you actually mean addicted? Well, I think addicted is actually accurate in, in this situation. And I think the only difference really, and I want to say this, Really, with the seriousness that that uh, it sounds like, the only difference between this addiction and any other addiction, actually, there are two differences. One is that we're all in. You know, we've all drunk the Kool-Aid on this one. So it's a condoned addiction. And that's something really new. We haven't seen that really yet. And the other difference, I would say, is that in normal addictions, if you want to use that term, the addiction makes you an outsider. Sooner or later, you are cast out of society. And in this one, as we know, it makes you an insider. You know, you're right there. You're at the genius bar. You've got your sparkly case. You're in the club. So we're, we're looking at two really, really strong uh, problems when it comes to tackling this. And I think what you said in the intro is really, is really wise, which is, this is not a problem of technology. This is a problem of this sort of inner reptile in every human being, myself included, uh, my children, my friends, my my clients. Uh, I mean, many of my clients now bring their phones into sessions and leave them on during the session because you have to be so uber available. Uh, God forbid you would miss something. So um, what we're up against really is this, inner reptile, inner five-year-old that wants distraction, wants pleasure, wants to check out of the moment. And that's the part of ourselves that we don't need to shame. We don't need to judge that or even imagine that it would go away. But we need for the more evolved grown-up in us to take the reins back in our lives and, and not allow ourselves to go down this this kind of whirlpool of distracted addiction because ultimately that way of living doesn't lead to a satisfying life. It doesn't make people feel well. Nancy, how would I know that I was addicted or that someone else is addicted? I mean, what are some of the symptoms of yeah. uh, technology addiction? So, you know, technology addiction, like all other addictions, um, has certain markers. And what I generally like to ask people is, um, is your reliance, so you would ask yourself, is your reliance on technology increasing? Are you experiencing withdrawal symptoms, anxious, depressed, irritated when you're not able to use? Are you continuing to use despite knowing that it's causing impairment in your work, health, social, or your family life? And I don't mean when I say your social life, I don't mean that your quantity of communication is being um, affected negatively, but the quality of it, the, the sense of nourishment that you get from your social encounters. Is your life increasingly revolving around technology? Have you given up activities you used to enjoy so that you can use technology? Or are you, have you, have you lied 
about your technology use. All of these are kind of markers, and we don't need all of them to be true. We need to know, you know, a couple of these are true and that there's something in you that right now, as you're listening to this topic, is saying, hmm, I'm curious about if the amount I'm using, right, is the best for me or there's something in you that says I want to use less but I can't, I won't, I don't know how to. These are markers that, that, you know, we want to pay attention to this topic. And most, one of the main reasons I wrote this book is because I was seeing such an enormous uptick in the level of anxiety that people were demonstrating. And we're walking around in this state of kind of what I call being twired all the time. Simultaneously tired and wired. And we're, we're jacked up, but we're exhausted. And, you know, people are talking more and more about the fact that while technology is supposed to make our life easier and more connected and freer, we're starting to see that that may not be, at least the way we're using it, um, actually what it's doing to us and for us. So that's when you know, we need to stop and say, how do I want to be in relationship? Freedom in technology, not from technology. So one of the statistics are is that the average person checks their phone 150 times per day. Or More every... Now. It's 190. It's 190 now? Oh One, 190. So I can't do the math that fast. At 150, it was every six minutes. So now yeah. it's it's even more than that. Yeah. That every that someone. Mm-hmm. So one of the terms that you used in your book that I that I found very interesting was you you used the term relentless availability. That because yeah. we can't separate from our phones, you know, we have. Can you explain what relentless availability is and and what the what the impact of that is on us? Sure. I think most everyone listening probably has a direct experience of relentless availability. It's the person leaving their phone on the arm of the chair on because their kid might call and it's not possible to miss that. It's walking around holding our phone when, you know, we're not expecting any, you know, a text from Obama at the moment or whomever. Um, We are... Uh, checking and checking and checking. And when we get a new job these days, they ask you, you know, we're going to give you a phone so you can work remotely, which means that you're on call 24-7. Essentially, we're living like we have someone dying in our, in our close proximity. We used to live only when that was the situation where you were on call every moment. We're living in a state of fight or flight. And what that's doing is it's raising the cortisol levels, it's raising the adrenaline levels, it's its resulting in this kind of cultural, a collective anxiety disorder where even, you know, even our phones, even our devices have to be turned off at a certain point to reboot. Well, for some reason, us human beings seem to think that we can do without that. 90% of millennials now sleep with their phones. 50% of all generations, when they wake up in the middle of the night, check their email. So we're living in this state where we're never allowed to just 
be with silence, be with ourselves, be with stillness. And in fact, the nervous system really needs that. Our attention needs to not be focused in on something, hyper-focused. It needs to be able to float, to sort of bounce around and be spacious so that, first of all, that's where our greatest ideas come from when we're in that space of just being. But what's happening in this Uber, I call it Uber availability, is that we are becoming afraid, I would say, of not doing. Right? Every moment has to be filled. Every moment has to be entertained. Every moment is a terror of boredom that, that's been born. And we don't know we're losing the capacity to just be and to be still and to be in silence. That, that feels like nothing. And, you know, it's interesting to me, too, to notice how our relationship with life just in general is changing, where it's not so much that we're in, you know, we talk a lot about mindfulness, that's the new buzz, but in fact, we're doing everything we can to not be present in the moment. So if we're not staring at the device directly, leaving where our feet are, the chair we're sitting in, the apple we're eating, whatever it may be, we're walking on that country road, not experiencing that, but rather looking for a place to take selfies of ourselves so we can post, oh, look what a, look what a nature lover I am, right? So, or if we're not doing that, we're at our kids' concert taking photographs of the, the child so later we can prove to everybody we have a life. We can show our life. But life is becoming more and more something we use to promote our identity, to kind of build our brand, not something that we live exactly. So it's, it's a fundamental change in the way we are living our lives. You know, it's interesting to me, Nancy. I hadn't thought about it in this perspective before. But, you know, we have, you know, it used to be that children had a lot of free time or a lot more free time anyway. I mean, David Elkind, a, a well-known psychologist wrote a book many, many years ago about cloud watching and that the way we've structured our children now, they have no time to lay on the grass and look at clouds and, you know, think about what they look like, what shapes they're in and imagine, you know, what they are. And, um, you know, and then we moved into, I think, because of work schedules a lot, you know, we were, we moved children into more and more structured time and more and more adult time. I mean, one of the things we've talked about on the show in the past is that as adults, we don't always allow children to learn the skills of negotiation um, and failure because we're always on top of them and we're always handling everything. So, I, you know, it's an interesting thing perspective you haven't thought that what's happened now maybe is these children have grown up um, and instead of having adults out there to structure every minute they have they have technology out there um, and they really haven't learned to live on you know to be quiet you know just to be quiet yeah it's fear I would say you know we saw it with our young daughter that when she first started getting the phone to play with the downturn in her imaginative play was so rapid and so dramatic, and her capacity to just invent games really disappeared. Luckily, as we removed the phone again, it came back. But, wow, was there a tendency in her to say, you know, I could be a passive participant here as opposed to an active. And 
you know, I think what we're seeing across generations is not just the inability to be with open space, to be with stillness, to be with ourselves. You know, as another example, there was a post on Facebook yesterday I saw that somebody was talking about how they had opened a door for a woman, you know, with a stroller. These little, all these little moments we have on the street or out in the world. And in other times, you know, we would have walked the rest of that block and thought about that sweetness we shared with that person and made meaning out of it and owned that experience and had a whole experience within ourselves of that moment. But now, you know, we immediately text out the experience, post it, and we wait to derive the meaning of it from the external validation or feedback, you know, hashtag gratitude, hashtag kindness, whatever nonsense we're writing. But it it goes to that place where we don't spend any time just with ourselves, in the silence, in what's happening. We are not a destination anymore. Silence is not a place. Stillness is not a place out of... Nancy, I'm going to ask you to to hold that thought because we have to go to break. We're with Nancy Collier, author of The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. When we come back, Nancy, I want you to continue that thought. I also want to talk to you about a little bit about Facebook. um, And then I really want want you to share with us your program uh, for detox if you are addicted. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities in health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Merrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Nancy Collier, author of The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. We've been having what I think has been a great conversation with just fantastic insights from Nancy um, about what's going on in our addiction uh, to technology. So, Nancy, if we are addicted or we know someone who is uh, addicted to technology, what is your detox program that you've developed? So the detox program we need, first of all, from somebody that we suspect 
And more often than not, it's ourselves, we suspect. And I knew for my own addiction when I went through that, that I was addicted to email. I knew that. Um, and something happened when one day I walked by my own kids after the end of the day, and I went straight to my email. And I think I just glanced at them and said a quick hello. And I remember the look in my daughter's eyes very, very deeply. Um, and I knew in that moment, oh, my God, my values are changing, and they're changing in a way that I'm not okay with. What I'm valuing is, which is where I'm putting my time and where I'm putting my energy, that's where I'm saying what I value, is not okay with some uh, greater wisdom in me and, and a desire for a life that's meaningful. So the first thing we need from a person who we're approaching with this is, is there an acknowledgement within themselves that something is not working? Because without that, we really can't go forward. We can't. This takes tremendous effort. And it's, it's little steps along the way, but it really requires, like any addiction, an acknowledgement, something I'm doing is not working. And it can be very, very small. I just don't like the amount of time or my sleep is being disrupted by using the last hour before I go to bed or something feels funny to me about when I'm with a friend having my phone on the table. So it starts with this acknowledgement. And then the program really starts with awareness. Awareness is always our refuge. It's always the main thing that gets anything that is about change going. So when I say aware, what I mean is we start to catch all the little moments, the little thoughts we have throughout the day, hundreds of them for most of us, that say, I could use, or I'm sitting on the subway, I could check my email, or I'm waiting in a line, you know, oh, I could play Candy Crush, or... So we start to catch those in like an inner mind colander. And we catch them without necessarily doing the behavior, without having them sort of uh, control us. So the habit doesn't necessarily have to mean that we are ruled by it. So the first part is just starting to notice the thoughts separately from the actions. I have 15 minutes to stare at home. Oh, I could shop for shoes. Well, there's the impulse, right? Great. No big deal, no judgment on it. Now, how do I want to work with it, right? What would I have to feel in this moment if I didn't use? Right? What's here in this moment that I want to distract myself from? So rather than going there because this sort of monkey mind, impulsive, technology-driven mind says, ooh, there could be distraction or pleasure, we say, oh, well, let's see what's here. What if I took a deep breath or took a walk instead? How would that feel, right? We're starting to regain kind of a separation between the impulse and the decision maker, which is the beginning of empowerment, which is what we really need to feel well. So that's the first part of the program. And then then there are the behaviors. And these are really just every day we add a behavior or we take away a behavior. Just little things. When we are eating, we're not having our phone on. We're not tinkering while we're eating. We're actually tasting the food, making an effort to taste the food. When we're with a friend, we do not have the phone in the interaction, when we're walking on the street, we're not holding our phone. When we are waiting in line, we stand in that line and we see what thoughts arise. We see, oh, if I feel bored, check out what boredom is like and see if investigating boredom is also boring. If I am taking a walk in nature, not looking at the phone. 
all these sort of things we add, and then some of them are little things like, well, what's something to do today that I could do in the, in the concrete world? Like maybe I'll phone a friend instead of texting that friend, or maybe I'll go down to the deli and I'll sort of interact with that person instead of ordering through Seamless. Start to incorporate, and then here's the real thing. Check out how you feel. Stay in touch with, am I feeling differently? Do I feel less frazzled? Am I sleeping better if the last hour of my day I'm off technology? All of these little behaviors, we have to stay very, very mindful of what's that like then if I'm having an interaction or a walk with a friend and I'm not checking and bells aren't going off because I've turned off my notifications, all that sort of stuff. The third part of the detox is this very, very clear and conscious ownership of what kind of life do I want to live. So right now, one of the things that makes technology different than every other revolution that's preceded it is that we're surrendering our authority to technology. You know, I was in a VIA car service the other day and going across a block you would never go across in the rain on a Friday. But of course, because the GPS said that was the shortest route and when I brought that to the attention of the driver, he simply said, you know, that's what the GPS tells me I have to do. So we're turning over authority to technology. Well, technology is not going to deliver us a nourishing and satisfying life that at the end of it, we will say, wow, that was a life well lived. The third part of the detox is this real conscious acknowledgement of what do I want to support in my life and what values do I want to build and and generate? Because right now we're building and generating values of popularity and fame and and sort of, uh, I hate to say it, but a bit of idiocy, kind of the fastest, most immediate gratification. And is that something that I want to stand by in my existence? So that's the third part, which you can't, none of them are um, okay without the others. They're all needed. There's a handshake between all three hands. Nancy, this is, this has been extremely helpful and I have lots more questions for you, um, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to ask you just one quick last question. Um, And that is you use the term thought treadmill. Um, And I don't know if this is connected to it, but it really struck me. Actually, we've got about two minutes. So if you can just very, very briefly describe that to us, and then uh, we need to know your contact information. Yeah. Thought treadmill is what we all experience. The constant stream of unending thoughts that go through every single person's mind all day long, the narration of our life. We're at a party. Oh, this is going well. Oh, I like what I'm doing here. Oh, I like what I'm thinking here. Now, technology serves as an externalized version of that inner narrator. So, oh, what do you think about what I'm doing? What do you think about what I'm thinking? We have this constant thought train going on, that thought train, thought treadmill, And what awareness training and the mindfulness practices start to do is they start to create some space between you and all these thoughts. You know, if you imagine you're not the thinker of those thoughts, the thoughts just appear. You get to decide which of those thoughts you bring your attention to. Nancy? Really? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, but I need you to give us your contact information, and we yeah. will have you back. Your fa- just yes, give us your contact information. Yeah. 
So I am at nancycollier.com, and it's with one L, C-O-L-I-E-R.com. The book is available everywhere books are sold and on all the online sellers. So uh, hopefully it will be helpful, and I really, I really appreciate feedback. I hope that people have questions and go to the website and we can communicate. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is Dr. Merrill. You've been listening to Caught Between Generations. Please watch me on Facebook Live. Um, And remember, as I always tell you, do just one thing for yourself this week. You're really important. And in order to keep caring for everyone you're caring for, you have to do just one thing for yourself. And maybe that is to take one of Nancy's suggestions and just turn off your phone for five minutes, you know, and just sit in peace and breathe. Take care of yourself. You're really important. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week. 